Hello there. Welcome to this special edition of MLEX's podcast, popping into your feed midweek rather than on Friday for a very good reason. And that is the publication of MLEX's latest special report on future mobility. My name is James Paniki. I'm with MLEX's Asia-Pacific team, and it's great to have your company today. Now, our regular listeners know only too well that leading autonomous vehicle companies such as General Motors Cruise, Alphabet's Waymo, Intel's Mobileye are reading for deployment. And that means that regulators and lawmakers are trying to catch up as they grapple with how to manage the new conceptual regulatory challenge posed by autonomous vehicles. The UK has taken the first step to establish a legislative framework for AVs, And in the US, there has even been a first recall ordered by regulators for AVs that have suffered a software malfunction, a sure sign that the industry is developing fast. As for data generated from connected vehicles, well, they've increasingly become a source of contention among different market players. Everyone wants the data, but in the US, for example, companies are facing litigation over how that data is processed while in the EU, lawmakers are considering new legislation. So there's a lot going on here, making this new uh, special report a must-read. And we'll be crossing to Europe in just a moment. But first up to San Francisco, from where our senior reporter Xu Wan covers these very issues, and she joins me now. Uh, Xu Wan, firstly, what's the legislative development for autonomous vehicles, both at a state and a federal level in the U.S.? Um, yeah, sure. So the legislative activity has been stalled um, kind of uh, at the federal level because of the upcoming midterms elections. But the lawmakers are still making efforts to push, uh, push the legislation. For example, one of them has recently announced uh, the establishment of a Congressional Autonomous Vehicle Caucus. But it's mainly for educational purpose. Um, the goal is to get lawmakers to understand more about the uh, importance and significance of um, the development of AV industry. So uh, they will get more support when the next session of Congress uh, convenes. Um, but a lot of activities have been going on on the state level. So in 2022, so far uh, this year, um, a couple of states have finished uh, legislation uh, and enacted laws to allow AVs to go on public roads. Um, they include uh, Oklahoma, uh, West Virginia, and Kansas. And other than autonomous vehicles, in the passenger vehicle sense, uh, some states are also pushing uh, legislations that allow the use of personal delivery device. Um, so they are basically delivery robots that uh, are used only for uh, delivering food and goods, not uh, not people. Um, so actually, um, in Pennsylvania, they were really close before uh, they the legislature adjourned uh, before the summer. Uh, there is a bill that's going through both Cong- uh, sorry both Senate and the House. So there is a possibility that it will be passed very quickly once the new session uh, begins, uh, which is in September. So are regulators, in fact, regulating autonomous vehicles now as things stand, or are we really just uh, thinking about it at the moment? Um, So the regulator in the US is the 
on a federal level is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration.、Uh, they Are known as NHTSA. So in 2022, they have actually been quite active in terms of regulating AVs. So this has been going on for a while, but in March they finally published officially、um, some changes to the federal vehicle safety standards that cover AVs that don't have、uh, steering wheels. So that was considered quite significant because that was the first、uh, kind of. Regulation that they have、uh, engaged in for、uh, AVs, and on the enforcement side, NHTSA has invest、um, has investigated into and required recalls、uh, from two AV companies just this year. One is Pony Dot AI.、Uh, so this is a company that's headquartered.、Uh, I think it was founded in the U.S., but it has operations both in China and、uh, the U.S. The other recall concerns a company called Cruise, which is owned by General Motors. So both recalls、uh, were about、um, soft, software gl- glitches, and the way the recall is done was by pushing out software updates. Because NHTSA has established a framework for collecting information or data、uh, related to the operation of AVs. It has also opened an investigation in Pony AI because they didn't、uh, report the information to the regulator、uh, soon enough, according to that、uh, data reporting regulation. Okay, so what does the regulatory landscape for connected cars actually look like? And more specifically, you mentioned enforcement. Are companies facing litigation as a result of the rise in connectivity? Um, yes. Um, so so far.、M- I would say enforcement related to connected vehicles、uh, mostly comes from private enforcement in the form of litigation. So one important state law here in the U.S. is called、uh, Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act. A lot of tech companies have been facing、uh, proposed class action lawsuits because of this law, which governs the collection of people's biometric data, such as.、Um, Uh, facial geometry, and because of the increasing popularity of the use of in-vehicle cam-、uh, monitoring technology, a lot of car companies and companies that provide such technology are facing lawsuits、uh, involving BIPA as well. Because in-vehicle camera、uh, are mostly used for for monitoring drivers' behavior to prevent they. Um, from getting distracted and then therefore causing accidents.、Um, for example, um, Subaru, um, the Japanese car maker, is now facing a lawsuit, and Tesla has won in、uh, state court in Illinois as well. And Microsoft is facing a similar one, but it's because they were providing the facial recognition、uh, software for Uber, so it was sued by a Uber driver. And a couple other software providers are in,、uh, are facing lawsuits as well.、Um, there's one called Samsara, which I think is a quite、um, big player in this field, and、uh, another one called Omnitrax. So all these companies were accused of. Uh, failing to acquire written consent from drivers、uh, for the collection of their、uh, f- facial geometry, 
There is another company which called uh, called Autonomo. It's actually a car data broker. So it ha- has partnerships with a lot of OEMs to collect data. And this company is now、uh, facing a class action lawsuit in California for、uh, collecting such driver data. And aside from class actions, there are lawsuits involving access to a company's private networks. Uh, for example, Volkswagen sued a API platform developer called Smart Car for uh, accusing uh, Smart Car of illegally accessing their vehicle network. All right. Now,、uh, finally, let's talk about、uh, charging stations, which are an important component in all of this. What is the status of the U.S.'s plan to build a national network of electric vehicle charging stations at the moment? Um, so yeah, in the U.S., the bipartisan infrastructure law has、uh, injected a lot of money into the construction of a national network of electric vehicle chargers, and the DOT is mainly、uh, in charge of pushing、uh, this project. So earlier this year, they launched、um, something called National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Formula Program. So that is basically a Uh, framework to distribute money to local governments so that they can、uh, establish their own network of chargers. And I think just last week the government announced that they have approved 35、uh, state plans to build out EV charging network.、Um, so the way it works is that、uh, the, every state in the U.S. will have to submit their own plan for the DOT to be. Uh, approved so that they can get the money and get the whole construction、uh, started. So to ensure that these chargers are built consistently, so that people don't have to worry about interoperability,、uh, the Federal Highway Administration under the DOT has started a rulemaking process earlier this year、uh, on minimum standards and requirements for how these chargers should be built. So these standards cover a wide range of issues, including、uh, how to make sure the charging stations are cyber secure and how to exchange data between different parties.、Um, so these standards, they are right now are still in draft, but the regulator has said they will、uh, try to final finalize the rulemaking expeditiously, so、uh, to make this going. Uh, Xuan, thank you for all of your work on future mobility, and in particular this special report. We really appreciate it. Thanks, James. Xuan is an MLEX senior correspondent covering future mobility from San Francisco. And now, listening in to that conversation from London was Jakub Kruper. He's the other MLEX senior correspondent who worked on this special report, which you can download at any time from our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. And Jakub joins me right now. So,、uh, what we're talking about here, Jakub, is. Automation and how Europe is trying to figure it out so that it doesn't lag behind the U.S. too dramatically, at least. So, walk me through some of the new technical requirements that are being discussed in Europe at the moment. Yes, hello, James. So that's right. EU essentially has been for years trying to say, "Look, we want to have automated vehicles on our roads, but 
we we don't want to compromise safety. We think that the safety of our cars on the roads is the is the critical thing, and obviously the the biggest worry there was if we rolled rolled them out too early, that any accidents, that any problems early on, people will not trust the technology. So the EU decided to go a bit slowly on this, similarly to the UK, and it might have something to do with the accident rates in the UK or in the EU that are much lower than in the US. Essentially, the benefit of automation, straight away at least, is seen as slightly less important um, than in the US. Now, the EU has now decided to prepare its first full regulatory framework for AVs. It's a very narrow one for now. Um, it has uh, free use cases of automated driving systems, um, essentially looking at things, you know, such as um, fully automated vehicles operating in a predefined area, say parking lot or a warehouse, vehicles running along hub-to-hub routes, think about, you know, a vehicle running from a parking to a terminal at an airport, and automated valet parking systems. So that's a very first step in automation, but it's important because for the first time ever, we get rules that set it out for the whole of the European Union. Until now, Germany has its own rules, some of that, France, Netherlands is working on this, a number of countries are testing solutions. For example, even Hungary in Eastern Europe is saying that we want to be, you know, um, working on this and we want to be proposing innovative solutions but it's the first time we get new rules in the European Union um, and I think it's an important step towards broader deployment. One of the key things there as well is that I mentioned safety early on. Um, the EU has adopted its general safety regulation and for example from 2024 cars will have speed limiters and stuff like that to make sure that they are safer. Now that is automation even though it's not the automation you think about when you think about you know driverless flying cars or whatever the vision of the day is it is still automation so we, we do see that kind of creeping automation in there with people you know still being in the driving seat still being comfortable that it's me driving the car not the car driving itself but you do get an increasing number of automated features that make sure that you are comfortable safe and i think that that's what, how the eu will be looking to roll out that technology and look, uh, Jakob, there are some significant connected car and data access debates now on the horizon with a big EU regulation coming in the form of uh, EU data, the EU Data Act, uh, and also the much-delayed sector-specific regulation. Then there are the obvious outstanding questions on GDPR. What do we need to look out for uh, among all of these things? Yeah, so again, you know, and that, these debates are very similar to those in the US, and particularly when you think about the competition angle of that. So think about connected cars and the, all the sorts of data that your car is now collecting. Um, and it's, let me tell you, James, it's a lot. <laughs> um, and the, the, the question there is, how do you access that data in a safe way? And there are multiple angles to that. So one thing is what the car maker can do with it. Can they um, you know, sell it to someone? Can they strike commercial partnership with people? Let's say you know, with lo your local cafeteria offering you coffee before you go on a long journey. What, what's the limit of that? And it's both in terms of data protection, that's where the GDPR comes in, but also in terms of public acceptance, again, whether people feel comfortable with, the, with your car sharing all that sort of data, particularly as most likely you just clicked yes on something on your car five years ago when you first bought it and you haven't bothered checking what what, what was that about, um, about sharing your data. So we will have rules about that in the EU Data Act, about what the, how, how data are being shared. But it's not the car makers, say, 
it's not specific enough. So the EU has been working for a long time on something called the in-vehicle data regulation. It yeah, We've been reporting on this for a year now. It was supposed to come this year. It didn't. Um, it's now delayed until first quarter next year. I won't be surprised if it goes um, back to the second quarter of next year. Uh, but it's all about essentially car makers, repairers, service providers talking about how do you access that data in a safe way. Car makers say if you make it too easy for you all to get, to get that data, you know, you'll be doing some dodgy stuff with it. It's not safe for the car. At the end of the day, the car is not, you know, it's not a smartphone. It's a car. It, it's on the road. It's, it's, it has to be safe. And there are higher limits than, for example, sharing, you know, stuff from your iPhone. The car makers now just say, look, if we don't have access to that data, A, we can't develop innovative solutions. Think predictive maintenance. Your car telling you your brakes will, you know, stop working in two weeks. So how about you fix it now? Or even even more basic stuff. So even repairing it now. So imagine being a repairer, you have a car turn up, so you can't access all the data you need to repair it. So all these conversations are happening right now, and it's it as I say, it's a, it's a kind of cross between competition. Part of that is in the antitrust regulations as well, um, and about data and how we develop going forward. Particularly, you know, if the EU wants to stay ahead and wants to be innovative. We need these rules, and there will be cases as well in the European EU's highest court on this. Um, there are three cases that we are looking at that will have an, a prof- profound impact on car manufacturers' duty to supply data to aftermarket service providers and how they charge for it. Um, all referred from Germany. Um, it's not. It's not a coincidence. Obviously, a massive automotive market in Europe, um, and we'll be looking at how this works and whether the, whether the clarifications provided by the EU Court of Justice are enough or whether we need to have that regulation quickly to fully clarify what's going on with data. Now, uh, Shuan just told us about the electrification issue in the US. In the EU, there's a, a big debate on charging infrastructure at the moment with national ministers uh, finalising their targets alongside uh, strict emissions uh, targets. What do we need to know about this balance and how it's been struck? So essentially the debate there is, sure, if you want to have electric vehicles and you want to reduce emissions, that's fine. You politicians, you can do that. But if you are a car maker or an aftermarket provider or whatever, whoever in operating in the automotive industry, you say, hang on, if we are to roll out these cars, we need to make sure that you have places to charge them and that's not just up to us it's not you know the Fords of this world the Volkswagens of this world the Peugeots of this world we're not going to build that I mean that's part of your job as well as, as a politician as national governments as, as leaders to make sure that the infrastructure is there so the EU is now in final stages of discussions about the thing called alternative fuels infrastructure regulation it sets the level of ambition in terms of how many stations should be out there you know, what are the, what are the targets now? Why it's important? So, ASEA, which is the European Automotive Industries kind of lobby body, they said half of the EU's all public EV charging points are located in just two countries: the Netherlands and Germany. So, the Dutch alone, the Netherlands alone, have as many charges as twenty three other member states of the European Union combined. Now, that is obviously a problem because if you move the car around Europe as you normally do you won't be able to charge. So surely, again, you will not be happy to rely on your electric car, and you may even want to go in, in an old ICE car. So there is a discussion on this, and there's a pressure on the governments to agree to a much more robust, much more ambitious target. If Is that going to happen? 
don't know. We'll see. There's there's a big chance that this is going to happen because the parliament is also pressing for that. But this is certainly the big discussion of the uh, of the fall um, in the coming months because if you want to progress with your ambitions and in terms of emissions reduction, you need to progress and with this as well. And there's loads of OEMs, loads of car makers saying you can't adopt emission targets without this. So we'll be looking at this in the coming months because that's very much a thing. And, and it's also very much a thing in the UK. UK is also um, about to adopt its transport bill. Um, it will take some time, obviously, with changes of the government we talked about recently. But there will be a transport bill implementing the government's EV infrastructure strategy. So it's clear that this is a thing everywhere. Now, micromobility is proving particularly uh, controversial with people living in large cities likely to have very strong ideas about how to regulate e-scooters and e-bikes. I know that I personally have some opinions about the e-scooters that are left all over the footpath or the sidewalk. And there are no doubt lessons in all of this for the regulation of cars in this uh, context. How is that debate progressing in Europe? So again, there are like two, I think there are two things there. One is about what exactly what you mentioned. So why are these e-scooters everywhere? Like why are they lying around on, on the pavement? Can we do something about it? Can we, you know, log them? Can we blog them? Can we GPS them to make sure that they're left in the right places? UK, for example, the trial in the UK many of the, of the companies have a requirement that you can only leave these e-scooters in specific designated places. So there, there are discussions like that, and it's particularly happening um, in the UK, again, because UK is an, a bit of an outlier here. It's not legal to use an, an e-scooter in the UK at the moment, a privately owned e-scooter. Um, you can only use them um, within the kind of government-approved trials. So the, there is a discussion here about how to design this framework in, in, the, in the wisest possible way. Separately, um, on the EU side, there's also discussion about if we want to have privately owned e-scooters, do we need to adopt some sort of technical requirements for them across the European Union? Do we want them to have you know, automa automatic lights turning on whenever we switch them on? Do we want them to have this and that? So there is a discussion there. But I think the second really interesting discussion, we're talking just a few days after a car-free day in Brussels, for example, is how do you argue that... E-scooters should be geofenced, speed limited, uh, unable to enter pavements, and all of that. And they need to have that technology in that small little piece of kit. But when you have a car, you can't do any of that. You can't. You can't have a speed limiter. You can't have a geofenced limits that you know your car will slow down when when it enters a busy pedestrianised area. And the question is that I have is like, how long? We can sustain that argument that we can talk about these things about these scooters and e-bikes, but we cannot talk about these things in cars. The, the way we uh, approach the regulation of micromobility, and we have clearly heightened ideas of well, what they should do and how they should stay safe. I think at one point someone will start asking these questions. I've seen them asked in the US and I've seen them asked in the UK. I think it's a matter of time before EU legislators start asking themselves these questions as well. If we can demand that from e-scooter manufacturers or service providers, how about cars? Surely they are bigger, surely they are more dangerous, surely we can do something about that. Jakub, uh, always a pleasure talking uh, with you. Thank you so much for the effort that you and Shu Wan have put into this uh, special report. We really appreciate it. Thanks, James. Jakub Krupa is a senior reporter covering future mobility as well as data privacy and security from London. He's one of the authors of the new special report, which is available now from the MLEX website, 
marketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X, marketinsight.com. It's ready for you to download and it's certainly worth a read. And you can hear MLEX's regular weekly podcast on Fridays as usual. The show is presented and produced by me, James Paniki, with the assistance of our team of reporters around the globe, and it's uploaded with the kind help of MLEX's marketing team in London. And from everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. Bye for now. <music>